Amen. Good morning. You can go ahead and be seated. It's great to have you with us today. If you're just joining us, we are actually in the middle uh, of a teaching series that we're calling Blueprints. And what we're looking at is how to build a stronger foundation uh, for our marriages, as well as for our future marriages, those that are single. Uh, let me kind of see who's here this morning. By show of hands, lift them high. Where's the married people? Show of hands. All right. You, most of you look proud. Okay. <laughs> All right. By show of hands, those who are not married at this time. All right. Lift them up. Keep them high. Keep them high. Keep them up. All right. Look around a little bit. Hey, you might have come today for Jesus and got a little more, so <laughs> you never know what can happen at church. At the same time, I would encourage, especially single people, one of the, one of the biggest things that I can tell you, um, just from experience of talking to a lot of people in, in my line of work, is who you spend time with matters. It matters very, very much. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. Not all relationships are good. That's also a fact. Um, when we talk about relationships, you know, nobody ever starts out in their relationship and says, you know, uh, I want to have a really bad relationship. That's my goal here. I don't think anybody ever enters into a marriage or a, a dating relationship or whatever it may be with the goal of, I hope that this ends in tragedy. You know, I, 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 I don't know anyone who's ever said, you know, I, a few years into my marriage, my hope is that I become a porn addict. I don't think that's something that people say yet it happens all too often. I don't know anyone who says, you know, I, I, I feel like I want to start my marriage off with just some small little lies. You know, they don't really seem like much, just some small little lies, even though eventually those will lead to big lies and then eventually my whole life will be a lie. And, you know, nobody ever says that that's their goal in a marriage and yet people end up there all the time. Let's not be so dramatic. I, I, I don't know very many people who say in my marriage my goal is just to kind of get too busy. And just uh, whether it's with the kids or my hobbies or my work or whatever it might be, my goal is to get busy so that I neglect the most important relationship in my household, which is my spouse. I don't know anybody that actually goes out and says that, and yet at the same time, it happens all the time, and eventually some people end up feeling more like roommates than married people. And that's why in this message series, we're kind of going into some of the principles that the Bible lays out for how we can make our marriages stronger instead of having them end up in a place where so many of them end up. And it's a difficult topic, but it's one that we're not going to shy away from as a church, and so we're talking about it. And one thing we've been talking about is, is we should not ever enter a relationship accidentally. That's not God's way, that, that you know, we're not supposed to wander into a relationship just hoping to find love. That's, that's not the way God intends it to be, dating a million different people until we finally find the right one. We're actually doing what's right in our life according to God's word now today, because that prepares us for the one day when we will enter into that godly relationship. That's the goal here. Because remember, if you want something different, even in the areas of marriage and relationships, then you have to do something different now. If you're not ending up in your relationships in the place where you feel like God is trying to take you or in a place that's honoring God and fulfilling you, then you need to make some changes now because the current way that you're doing it isn't working. So that means some stuff has to change. Just a review for those of you that might have missed it. If you remember in week one, we talked about how, especially in a godly marriage, if you want a marriage that lasts, that has a strong foundation, the anchor of that marriage has to be Jesus Christ. That's got to be the anchor. Every marriage has an anchor. But if it's not Jesus, it's not going to last. It's not going to be as strong as the ones that do. 
Last week we talked about being united, that just because you're together doesn't mean you're united. Just because you're together doesn't mean that you're walking on the same path toward the same goals in life, toward the same mission, the same purpose, and that's a very, very important part of a relationship. And today we're going to talk about, if you want to pull out your notes and follow along, we're going to talk about the question, you know, who is the real enemy here anyway? Because in my job, I talk to a lot of couples, and the majority of the time when couples are in trouble, they think that the other person is the enemy. But there's a much greater enemy that you're actually facing in these situations that you're not really paying attention to. Why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because there's a very real spiritual enemy that really exists, guys. And we need to understand and never forget that this is an enemy who hates God. He hates anything that God loves. He hates anything that matters to the heart of God, and that includes you, by the way. Let's look at Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 11. He tells us to put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So can you imagine for a moment, because this is actually what's happening. Imagine the devil, the father of lies, the prince of peace, that's Jesus, the prince of darkness, and all the demons in hell scheming against you. Their number one goal is to take you out. Their number one goal is to hurt you and make you fall. They want to attack your relationships. They want to find out where you're vulnerable. They're constantly studying your marriage, studying your kids, studying your home, studying the way you live your life, looking for the vulnerable spots where he can attack you. And he's a very real enemy and that's his mission. His mission is to devour, to kill, and destroy. That's what it says. Paul said this, he says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That would do many of us good to remember. In other words, your spouse is not your enemy, though some of you think that. But instead, we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world. So what do we know? We know that whatever God blesses, the devil wants to curse. We know that whatever God loves, the devil wants to hate. We know that whatever God brings together and unites, and that includes marriage, the devil wants to divide and rip apart. It's his number one thing. And so, you know, if you ever find yourself struggling in a relationship where you're all of a sudden angry and resentful and hurt and offended and afraid and, and you're losing trust, the biggest thing I would point out to you is as much as it might seem that way, your spouse is not the real enemy here. There's a much stronger enemy than your spouse actually who we would do good to acknowledge is attacking your marriage in every way, shape, and form and wants to divide you. So uh, l- let me kind of bring it home this way. Imagine this for a minute. Just picture this in your brain. Imagine that you get an alert on your phone, like an amber alert, uh, 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 like you have to look at it. It's that loud. And it says, nearby criminal has just broken out of prison and he's coming for you. He's named you. He's given your address to the news and he says he's coming for you. Let's say that this is a person who's been targeting you for years, been stalking you on social media. They know where you live. They, they hate your guts. They hate your children. It's hard to think about, but just imagine this is true. And their goal, now that they've broken out of prison, is to come to your home and break in, and they want to rob you of your belongings, and they want to hurt everything that matters to you, including your children. What would you do? You would be so on guard, it's not even funny. It would be so ridiculous how on guard you are. Let me tell you what, you might be a peace-loving pacifist. In that moment, you're going to get a weapon. In that moment, you're putting a security system on your home. In that moment, you're going to tell all your neighbors, you're going to tell your friends, you're going to warn people that are close to you, 
You're going to get some motion detector lights. You're going to get a dog that bites. You're going you're to be praying hardcore. Even though you haven't maybe prayed in a month, you're going to start praying now. You might have a weapon that shoots or stabs or swings or bludgeons or something. There's going to be something, even if it's a pillow with rocks in it. You're going to have something. Because you're not going to allow somebody who said they're coming to your home to break in and take the things that matter most to you and hurt the ones that you love. You're going to be on guard. Peter said this. Peter told us, stay alert. In other words, this is serious. He said, stay alert and watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Why? He says, because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what if I edited that just a little bit because it's still true. And I said, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for marriages to devour. Looking for not yet married people to devour through that method. What if I said that? Because one thing we know about the devil, guys, and it's been this way throughout history, he never announces his intentions. He doesn't warn you when he's going to attack or tell you exactly how he's going to attack. And yet at the same time, he's been attacking people for all of history since the dawn of time in the exact same ways. And yet we still haven't learned. It's a constant, same, similar methods that he uses. He doesn't warn us, though. He doesn't come to us and say, hey, warning, I'm coming. Tomorrow at 2 o'clock, I'm going to attack you. You know, he doesn't come to you and say, hey, you're doing really good. You're following Christ right now and doing all the things that God would have you do in your life. So there's a lot of fruit from God in your life right now and people are being impacted by you. And so I just want you to know I'm coming for you tomorrow because I need to take you out. He doesn't do that. He's the father of lies and he always attacks though in the same ways and it's typically one of two ways. Write this down if you're taking notes. How does the devil attack? He most often attacks by distracting and seducing. Those are his two biggest methods, distraction and seduction. Let's talk about how he distracts us to start it off. So you could look all throughout scripture. I could go on for an hour about this, but let's just take a few. Eve in the Garden of Eden being distracted by the serpent who said, don't you understand this is the one tree you should be eating from? Let me distract you with this fruit that's forbidden. Or whether it was King Solomon who loves God, but then, as you know, is distracted by trying to please people instead of pleasing God. He's distracted by something less than. Or if it's Judas, who was the guy that walked with Jesus for a long time and is distracted by his love of money and betrays his friend, and his love for money becomes greater than his love for his Savior. In fact, there's a, there's a powerful little verse here in the Old Testament where Solomon uh, was pursuing the Shulamite woman Uh, who he calls his beloved one. And by the way, there's this little book, if you're new to church, there's this book called The Song of Songs or The Song of Solomon, which I don't actually recommend anybody under 18 ever read. (laughs) It's kind of like, you probably shouldn't read it, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, some of you think the Bible's boring. If you think that, you haven't actually read it. You're boring if you think that. It's not actually true. Uh, The Bible's not boring. And so in this section, Solomon is, is basically complimenting his girl and, and he's using compliments that, that, gentlemen, you should never use. He says, he says, hey, baby, your hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> That's one of the lines. I guess that was a good thing back then. He says, hey, your neck is like the Tower of David. I tried that on Amy one time. She's like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> but then his tone changes here, and, and, and here's where we get serious. And he says, he says this to his bride. He says, catch for us the foxes. That's one of those lines you just read over. 
you don't pay attention to, but if you understand the context of what he's actually talking about in that day and time, it means a lot more. So let me explain that to you. Everybody say the foxes. He says the little foxes that ruin the vineyards are vineyards that are in bloom. So if you know about the history, what did the foxes do? The foxes during that time in that part of the world would actually go into the vineyards and destroy the blossoms on the vines before they became grapes, destroying the entire harvest one blossom at a time. And that's what he's actually talking about here when he refers to that. In other words, he's saying to you, you gotta watch out for the little harmless foxes. They seem little, they seem small, they seem harmless. But if you don't check them before they get into your vineyard, they're going to literally destroy the entire harvest. It seems like a little thing that's meaningless, that's insignificant, but they are a bigger deal than you think and they're going to attack and destroy the entire harvest if they go unchecked. In the same way, what does our enemy do? He tries to distract you with the little foxes. Not big obvious things that come at your face where you're like, oh, this is an attack. It's the little things sometimes that we ignore and they go unchecked for years and then all of a sudden we realize that our marriage is on the rocks. Or all of a sudden we realize that this thing has been destroyed in our life or this thing and it just goes again and again and again. I don't know how it might be for you but perhaps the devil's trying to distract you with some little foxes. So maybe one of them is, uh, is, is, is approval. You know, some of you are so hungry for approval that you'll go to anybody or anything to get it, and then years down the road, you realize that you've destroyed parts of your life. For some of you, it might be the little fox of comparison, where you're constantly, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, comparing your life, your marriage, your relationships to somebody else who you wish you were in their shoes instead of in your own. I wish that I had it like they have it. And that little fox of comparison where you're comparing to somebody else or you're comparing your husband to another guy or your wife to another girl, all of a sudden you realize, you know, it was just a little fox. I didn't think it was a big deal, but now I'm standing here at work and all of a sudden there's this girl who's kind of cute and, you know, she's kind of talking to me in a way I wish my wife would. Now you're in danger. The little foxes can get in there. You got to watch those. Or maybe it's just the little nitpicky things. I mean, like ridiculously small things, like insignificant things that your spouse says to you, like, I can't stand the way you drive, right? I, I don't like the way you chew. Somebody actually sat in my office a few years ago and said, she just told me she doesn't like the way I breathe. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, you snore while you sleep? Or, or no, like, the way I breathe right now. She doesn't like the way I breathe. It's like, you guys need help. But <laughs> if I can be that blunt. Maybe it's just little foxes fighting over money. We don't have a plan, we don't have a vision, no direction, we're always fighting. Maybe one person's controlling and critical and nitpicking, the other person though is passive and, and, and barely even engages, which is an equal sin. Bottom line is, guys, here's what I'm trying to get at as I throw out all these examples. The devil knows where you're vulnerable. The devil knows where the holes are and he will attack whatever thing you have that triggers your anger or your fear or your insecurities he'll tell you, you know, well, he'll tell you, you guys are just not compatible. Guys, that's the biggest junk I've ever heard. <laughs> the word incompatible, did you know, was invented by the divorce lawyers? That's not even a real thing. You are incompatible. <laughs> Every person on the face of the earth that's married is incompatible. You're so different. That's how it works. It's not a reason to split it. He attacks with distractions. 
little things that just take you off track because he hates what God loves. But then the other one, he also seduces. He also seduces, and I'm gonna hit this one kinda hard. Sexual temptation is something that can easily take us away from God's plan for our lives. I read an article recently that said that today, 60% of divorces actually cite pornography as the biggest contributing factor to the divorce. 60% of divorces today. And so if you take that back to God's word, maybe that's the reason that Paul actually said in Ephesians 5 verse 3, he says this, look at it. But among you, talking to us, there must not even be a, everybody say it, hint. Not a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Not even a hint, he says. In other words, we don't even want to open up the door for any darkness to come in. We don't even want to crack the door. So in light of that line, because a lot of times we read that, and I think that a lot of Christians read that, and they say, well, sexual immorality is like this stuff. But that, he uses the word hint, not even a hint. That's a little intense. That's a little extreme. So let's, let's think about what he actually means by that. Let's play a little game. Because, you know, I, I think that a lot of people have really lowered their standards of what impurity actually means according to God's word. So let's just play a little game just to kind of see what Paul's talking about here. For example... I'll, I'll start heavy. If you brought your kids, you should have sent them to class, all right? So I'm gonna give you some scenarios. Like, for example, if you lie to your spouse and go have raging hot sex with someone you met online, is there a hint of immorality in that? Yeah. Somebody over here choked. Like, yes. What if you watch pornography on your phone and nobody else knows? There's a hint of impurity there, right? There's definitely a hint there. What if, what if uh, well, I'm not going to watch pornography, but, you know, I, when I am home alone, I'm going to go ahead and turn on Netflix and watch some questionable content that, you know, the blankets are covering it, but it's still there. Is there a hint of sexual immorality there? Yeah, absolutely. What about dressing a certain way for the sole purpose, let's say it's your sole purpose, of causing somebody to look at you in that way and want you in that way? Is there a hint of that there? Yeah. What about posting immodest photos on social media that show too much, hashtag I'm blessed, or whatever it might be? I'm sorry if that's you. <laughs> Some, I'm just, can I be that blunt? Sometimes I have to unfollow people in my own church, okay? <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that, but. I'll have a conversation with the elders between sermons, we'll see, but. What about, what about having borderline inappropriate conversations with somebody of the opposite sex at work. Hint? Even a hint? Yeah. Listen to me. No, don't listen to me. Listen to God. He says, not even a hint. Not even a hint. In other words, I'm not going to keep that door cracked. I'm going to slam it shut and put 10 deadbolts on it. That's what he's saying. That's how serious this is. We're fighting the devil. In other words, we're not tolerating any type of darkness. No impurity. What is impurity, by the way? It's poison. That's how it's defined. It's poison. So for a moment, let's, let's imagine there's a line here, okay? And on the other side of this line, this is the sinful line, okay? And on the other side of this line is poison. So I don't know what it would be for you. For me, it's like a rattlesnake because that's what I grew up around. So I, I hate rattlesnakes. Let's say it's a rattlesnake or, uh, I don't know, a poisonous plant, poisonous thorns. Uh, something that could kill you is right on the other side of this line, Okay? 
am I a wise person if the line's right here and the snake's right there and I just stand here like this? No, I'm stupid. <laughs> Let's be that blunt, okay? Now, if that's what's on the other side of this line, I'm not going to be coming near the line. I'm going to be as far, I'm not even going to be here. I'm going to be way back there in, in Nathan's office with the door locked. I'm not even going to be here. And yet we do this exact same thing. The line's right here, and we say, well, I'm not going to cross the line. I'm just going to stand near it. I'm, I'm just going to kind of flirt with it. You know, I, I might even just touch it with my toe once in a while, but, I, you know, I'm not going to cross it, though. Yes, you are. <laughs> There's over 100 people in this room that will tell you, yes, I did, <laughs> because you need to be as far away from that line as you possibly can is what Paul is saying here. You slam that door shut. It's not a line that we need to be near. You stay away from it. Why is it so often that we want to get so close to the line when the closer we get to the line, guys, actually the fact is the more vulnerable we are to the poison that's on the other side. And that's why I think that's one of the biggest reasons that Solomon said this in Proverbs 4. I've read this before. I'm going to read it again. It's so important. Don't set foot on the path of the wicked. He says not even a foot on the path. And then he says in case you, you don't get it the first time, I'm going to say it to you four different ways. Avoid it, don't travel on it, turn from it, go your own way. In other words, we're going to distance ourselves from anything that would come close to compromising us from living the way God told us to live. Any part of us, anything that could even give a, bring a hint or, or, or an ounce of hurting our marriage, we're going to run from. We're not even going to flirt with it. We're not even going to go near it. And so let me just give you some examples um, from my own life and, and the lives of people I know. And some of you are going to think, this is so extreme. It's not extreme. It's necessary. Because anybody that thinks these things I'm about to share are extreme are the very people that fall into this and have their relationships destroyed. I see it constantly. So let me just share these with you. So if you're vulnerable to looking at something on your phone that you shouldn't look at, the answer is to limit access to those apps on your phone. Not to just tell yourself, by my own willpower, I'm not going to look at that thing. You have to actually remove those things from your phone so you can't even access them. Well, that's extreme. Yeah, it's extreme. This is serious stuff. Uh, if there's a person that we shouldn't be engaging with of the opposite sex, if we're married and there's somebody else, we're not even going to go to lunch with them. Oh, that's extreme. Not even go to lunch? Yeah, not even go to lunch with them. Did you know that over 90% of affairs is because somebody innocently just went to lunch with somebody of the opposite sex they weren't married to? That's what starts it. And they swear it would never happen, but that's where they begin it. It's not a good practice. If we have a person at work that we find ourselves connecting emotionally with, we're going to actually ask to be transferred to another department. And if we can't be, guess what? I'm going to go find a different job. Oh my gosh, that's extreme. Yeah, it's that important that my marriage is protected. It's that important. You can find another job. You can't heal some of the brokenness that happens in those situations. If we go to the gym and we find ourselves visually vulnerable or relationally vulnerable, we're not going to go to the gym. We're going to work out in the garage at home. We're not going to even get close to the temptation. If we look at things on Instagram, and some of you know what I'm talking about, that lead to other places we shouldn't look at, we're not going to have Instagram. <gasps> now you're going too far. <laughs> I'm serious. I have a group of buddies that have cut Instagram completely from their life because it's just not a safe place for them, and I applaud that. That's a real man. What we're going to do is we're going to distance ourselves in any way and every way from anything that could harm us or bring an attack on our marriage because we're not even going to have a hint of that which could dishonor God. 
And so again, some of you say, well, that sounds kind of crazy. That's a little extreme. Why would you be so into that? Why in the world would I not want to eliminate completely from my life something that has the potential to attack one of the most important things in my life? Why would I flirt with that line? That's the same thing as telling my wife she doesn't mean anything to me. She's more important than that. And it goes the other way too, ladies. Why am I going to leave a door open that I have the power to lock? Why am I going to do this with the door when I have the power to not even walk near it? I think a lot of times we do this thing as Christians where I'm going to fight temptation and teach me how to fight temptation and fight temptation. Why would you fight temptation in an area where you could actually eliminate it altogether? Because that's a possibility in many of those areas. Well, I'm just going to fight the urge to look at that thing on here. Don't have the thing on there. Then you don't have to fight the urge to look at it. You know, there's easier ways to do this sometimes. And there's two extremes when people hear this kind of stuff, because I've talked to a lot of people about this, just one-on-one. -on -one. There's one extreme that says, well, Jared, you're going a little overboard here. I mean, that, that's a little crazy. You know, I, I mean, don't even have lunch with somebody. That's a little ridiculous. But then there's the other extreme of people listening to this who say, you know what? I am so trapped and I am so sucked into this stuff that if I had done that years ago, I wouldn't be in this situation I'm in right now where I feel like everything is going toward destruction. And those people are sitting in here too. And the good news, guys, for both of those extremes is God speaks, or Paul speaks to both of those. God speaks through Paul to both of those here. In the same passage in 1 Corinthians 10, and he says to the first ones, those who never think they're actually in danger when they are, he says, be careful if you think you're standing firm. Be careful that you don't fall. Thinking that you're standing firm by your own willpower, I'm going to say something you might not have heard before, is a form of pride. And pride comes before the fall. Your willpower is not infinite. It runs out, just like energy. You have to have safeguards and boundaries and things in place to protect you from those things. Willpower is not enough. Pride comes before the fall. And then the other extreme, to the one who says, you know, I'm stuck. I feel like I can't dig myself out of this hole. This is horrible. Paul goes on to say, no temptation, guys, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, every person is facing the same ones. The devil's using the same strategies, in other words, that he's always used. But here's the good news. He says, our God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, listen to this, guys, our God will give you a way out. And so some of you in this room, you're not here by accident today. You're here because God wants to give you a way out of whatever you're in. It's a powerful thing if you'll take it. He offers it to everybody. And so... Let me backtrack. For those of you that are not married and you're sitting in the room and you're like, yeah, I love this sermon. You're giving it to the married people. This is great. I'm going to come down on you now. Because <laughs> you don't get to just sit there and have me beat up on married people. <laughs> the devil attacks you all the time. Sometimes in even greater ways. He attacks us all. And he wants to distract you and seduce you in the same ways. And some of you in this room, you've been distracted from what you might call your first love. Because you can remember a time years ago where you were passionately serving Jesus and loving Jesus and following Jesus. And now if you look at your life, you're in this place where it's like he's just a thing on a long list instead of the anchor of your life. You've been distracted and seduced away from the most important thing in your life. So my challenge to you today is you pursue him. You follow him. You go after him. And if you're really, really honest... You admit where you're falling and you start, you pick yourself up and you go toward that. 
Because some of you have made this statement that, you know, someday when I'm married, I'll live this way. You're not going to live a certain way someday if you're not living that way today. God calls us to live a certain way today in preparation for someday so that the someday will be more as he intended it to be. It's one of the biggest mistakes people make in this, in this walk, I think, is saying someday instead of today. Today is an important word. What you do today matters. What you do today is shaping your future. Just like I said a couple weeks ago, you don't build the life you want years from now by not living a certain way today. He says, not a hint. So whenever we are tempted to do something that could end up damaging our marriage or, or, or hurting the future uh, of my ministry, let me make it personal, or damaging the relationships with the people who trust me, um, what I always do is I always try to do this thing in my mind where I play it forward. And that'd be a good practice for you. So before you end up making a decision or if you're tempted by something or if something is, is attacking you, seducing you, distracting you, play that, play that scenario forward in your mind. Not just to the moment, but beyond the moment. And imagine what your life looks like and what you look like having made that decision a few years down the road. Visualize the destruction. <laughs> That's a big deal for me because what I know is as I do that, first, I know that one day the Bible says I will have to stand before God and give an account of my life. And I know that if I were to do certain things, I would hurt hundreds of people in this church, my family, my friends, my staff. I would disappoint them. And I know that my God would forgive me. And I know that he's a master at taking broken things and putting them back together. Not to say that he can't do that, but it would cost me greatly. I would crush my children, who, by the way, know firsthand that I am nowhere near perfect, but I do hope and pray that they see that I'm a man that's following God. And I think they see that. And last but not least, I would devastate my, my best friend, my wife, the woman that's given me my children and has truly sacrificed more than I could ever express to you guys publicly or privately that you have no idea. The devil will attack where you're most vulnerable. So you have to be on guard. You have to be alert. You have to be ready. You have to be prepared. And so I've got one question for you to kind of help you prepare to discuss this. I think this is an important thing to discuss with somebody close to you, whether it's a spouse or somebody in your small group or a friend. I just think this is an important question to answer honestly. And so if you're married, the question will go like this. In our marriage, where are we currently most vulnerable to spiritual attacks? Because if you recognize and acknowledge that and be on guard against that, you're in a better place. Trust me. <laughs> where are we most vulnerable? And if you're not married, make it singular. This still applies to you. Where am I most vulnerable to spiritual attacks in my life right now? And you have to be honest because, guys, you are only as strong as you are honest. Whatever God blesses, the devil curses. Whatever God loves, the devil hates. Whatever God unites, the devil wants to divide. In the first week of the series, we, we talked about the importance of praying with your spouse if you're married. That's an important practice that you need to have. And how that relates to today is when you're married and you're under attack, and most of us are under attack in one way or another, you're going to want to turn up the intensity of your prayers, especially with each other. It's so important. 
You're going to want to join hands together and seek God together. And, and by the way, when you pray, you're going to want to quote some scripture. It's one of your greatest weapons. And, and if you can't quote scripture, it's only because you don't know scripture, so you need to be in here daily so that you can quote scripture. Because when you're praying and, and quoting scripture out loud, then you're going to be able to say out loud and believe and see that, you know, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. The weapons that we fight with, the word of God says, they actually have the power to demolish strongholds. We have one offensive weapon, the Bible says, and it's this, the sword of the spirit. And if this is our one offensive weapon that is the strongest weapon you will ever wield in your life, and you don't pick this up every day, no wonder so many of us are walking in weakness. Wield the weapon he's given you. Because it says in here, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You could flip that to your marriage. You could say out loud to each other, no weapon formed against my marriage shall prosper. And you want to declare it boldly when you say, greater is he that is in me than greater is he that is in the world. And you want to be able to say that we in our marriage together, standing together, that we are overcomers, we are more than conquerors, because that's what it says about us. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, and we stand strong together, and we don't fight against each other. We fight on the same side of the table against the common enemy. And I, I can't stand up here and lie to you like many people do and say that any of this is easy. I, I would actually say none of this is easy. <laughs> but it's worth it. It is worth it, worth it, worth it. And I know right now, and... I know it from experience, and I can see it in some of your eyes, that there's people who are fighting for their marriages. And let me just hit one more thing before I close, because I think it's important. I know that there are some people in every service who are in a marriage where they're fighting for the marriage, and for whatever reason, the other person in the marriage is not engaged and they're kind of sitting passively back, and they're not really participating in making that thing stronger. Sometimes somebody's passive, sometimes somebody's rebellious, and that can make it very difficult for the one person that's trying to fight for this relationship. And so let me just talk to you for a moment, and I'm going to try to say this as gently as possible, but, you know, we're a church that believes that the Bible is full of truth and grace, truth and love, and that God is fully truth and fully love. And so that means that you can't have one without the other. So if I stand up here as a pastor and I only preach love without any of the truth, do you know what that's called? That's called compromise. And I'll never do that. At the same time, if I'm a pastor who comes up here and only throws truth at you without any grace or love, that's called condemnation. And that's not what we're about either. So the sweet spot is a perfect balance of the two, which, by the way, is found in Jesus Christ, if you want to study him. He always showed love, but sometimes it was firm love, and sometimes it was speaking truth that stung a little bit, and I have to be that way. So I'm going to say this gently, but, and this can go either way, but average, statistically, to the females. If you're in a marriage and you're tempted to criticize you're tempted to be resentful or be angry or respond in a certain way or gossip or whatever it is that you may even have every right to do based on him, okay? I'll give you that. I want to encourage you as best as you can, turn that energy to prayer instead and invoke the power and the presence of God 
And then in any way you can, any time that you see something of God coming out of that man, you lift it up and you speak it into him and you remind him that yes, that is the man I married, that is the man of God. And you speak that over him instead of bludgeoning him down. If there's any part of you that believes he is a man of God or a future man of God, you tell him, I still believe in you. I still see the man that you're becoming. And then help him understand if you can. And I challenge you to try that and watch as some different things start to come alive inside of him. To the men, I'm not going to be as nice to you because I am one. I don't know any better way to say this. If you're a man and you're being extremely passive in your relationship, get off your butt, dude, and, and lead your family. Lead your family to Christ. You've got it in you. It's wired in you. God designed you that way. He put it in you, and you can do it because you're a fighter. You don't give up, so you lead them. You fight for them. You bring them to church. Don't be a man that's dragged to church by your wife. You bring your family to church. And if you need counseling, go call a counselor. Go call a pastor. There's nothing weak about that. I heard men say that sometimes. Oh, I'm not so weak that I need a counselor. That's exactly why you're weak, because you think that way. The Bible says when you recognize your weakness, that is when you are made strongest. And from experience, I can tell you that talking to somebody about this stuff is one of the best things I've ever done for my marriage. Let me tell you what I know about men, because I know about men. As a man, somebody comes into my house <laughs> to break in and hurt the people that I love. Here's what I'm not doing. I'm not saying, hey, Amy, can you go deal with him while I hide under the bed? And there's not a man in this room that would do that. Not one. What you're going to do is you're going to grab anything you can to defend your family. Anything you can find to put your hands on, you're going to fight to defend your family if that happens. You will stand up for those you love. I believe that there's not a man in this room that wouldn't die for his family. I believe that. Truly. Because we're wired to give our life. It's what we're called to do. We will die for the people we love. I already know that about you men, though. <laughs> but here's the problem with it. Oftentimes, God isn't actually asking you ever to die for your family. That's more of a rare thing. But he's asking you every day to live for them. And sometimes for a man, that's the harder thing. So my challenge to you, gentlemen, is to focus every day on living for your family rather than just saying, yeah, I'd die for them in a second. Because that's where the true impact's going to come from. And I know there's a million excuses and exceptions and everybody's got the, well, you don't know my, you know, and all that stuff. But what I do know is if you stand together, and this takes two, and if Christ is your anchor and if you're united in purpose and you have understood the strategies of the devil and so you can kick him out of your life because the Bible says you have the power to do that. I know that you can heal and overcome anything, no matter what you're facing, okay? And that's meant to give you hope today. One of my favorite things to do uh, every weekend is uh, watch. I'm sorry if this makes some of you uncomfortable. Sometimes I'll stand at the back and I'll just get a little choked up as I watch people worshiping God. I think that's part of the reason that we're meant to worship on the weekend corporately that this is not an individual time, this is a time to worship together as the body of Christ because we, we encourage each other toward that worship. It's a beautiful thing. And I get very encouraged 
is by seeing the crowd worshiping God. And there's this one particular couple in our church that if you were to look at him, them, you would see every week his hands raised and he's just praising God. And she's standing right by his side with her arms around him like this. And they're just worshiping together. And it would be easy for you to look at this particular couple and say, man, I wish I had that. that that's what I want. That's the kind of relationship I want. But again, there's always a backstory. Because you look at that and you say, oh, it's so easy for them. Mm-mm. <laughs> because this particular couple I'm talking about, if you knew their backstory, you would know that they've been through turmoil. See, I know their story. And I know that they have been through hell and back in their relationship. I know that they've had extreme financial struggles. I know that they've had medical issues and health problems and physical problems. I know that they've come back from certain things that some people would say no married couple ever comes back from even, and they're stronger today as a result of it. And the one thing, the one thing that made them different from so many others, and they'll, they'll say this to your face if you talk to them, we know who the enemy is. That's their line. We know who the real enemy is. And so when those things come up, we choose to look each other in the eye and stand together against that common enemy and fight together. They choose to say those amazing words we sing sometimes up here, not today, devil. Not, not my house, <laughs> not my marriage, not my kids. Not my ministry, uh-uh, not my church. Heck no, you get out of here. And we have the power to do that. Mark my words, guys, from experience. Amy and I do not have a strong marriage because we have had it easier than other people. We do not have a strong marriage because there, there hasn't been any struggles. Mark my words, it will be hard, it will take work, it will take prayer, it will take tears, it will take apologies and forgiveness and acceptance and repentance but it is possible because what God blesses, the devil attacks, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, period, period. So let's join together in prayer and, and just close this thing out. Father, would you just empower us with your weapons, not ours, God, to fight this battle our way, to do warfare your way, not our way. God, may we be daily in your word as the greatest offensive weapon. May we learn those words and those ways to live. God, may we trust you, not just the promises you make or the things that you tell us to do, God, but may we trust the words you say about us. Like I stated earlier, that whether individually or in marriages, we are more than conquerors. God, you say that we're overcomers. And we acknowledge before you today that we believe that greater are you in us than he that is in the world and that you give us the power to overcome these things. So God, I pray for every marriage in the room and every future marriage in the room. God, that you would be the anchor of those relationships. That no matter what comes their way, they would remember that you are the center of all that they do. God, may they be united in that. May they be together in that. And God, would you help them to have the boundaries and the the lines drawn in the sand that they would stay away from even a hint of the things that could take them toward destruction. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.
Amen.